Welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to ICU, episode 16, Falling on Faith. I'm back from Disneyland. Oh, it was so much fun. So we had a joke. We had these mini ears that you can put on. I'm sure you've seen them if you've been to Disneyland. Everybody has them. They're like 30 bucks. It's ridiculous. But anyways, my sister already had some and we brought them with us to Disneyland to the park. And we had a joke that whoever was wearing the mini ears was the boss. Kind of like the talking stick in a classroom, right? If you hold the talking stick, then you need to talk and everyone has to listen. I got to wear the mini ears a lot because I was the one doing all the fast passes and linking pictures on the Disneyland app, which I'm just learning about and it's so cool anyways so that was fun for me to get to wear the mini ears so much at the end of the day it was probably 1 a.m because we shut the park down right me and my sisters on space mountain at 11:45 p.m screaming our guts out we were trying to get on the disneyland shuttle the rest of my sisters and my sister-in-laws and my mom were all on this little train thing that was going to take me to the shuttle. And I thought it was going to leave without me. I couldn't get through the gate. So I seriously pictured in my mind in the movies where the train is pulling away and the person has to run and jump and hop over onto the train and they barely make it. I seriously had that start playing in my mind and I was like, it's going to leave without me. And probably because I was sleep deprived and had drank a lot of caffeine to stay awake that long, not in my best decision making mode in my head. Anyways, and so I like jumped up and panic hit me and I started trying to leap over this gate into the train thingamajig. Anyways, and then a worker came by and they opened the gate for me. <laughs> and all the girls in my group were laughing so hard. They, I sat down and they wouldn't stop talking about it. They were like, man, we saw fire in your eyes. You were going to get on this thing. <laughs> Lots of entertaining things. It was so fun. Just good to get away. And of course, I miss my little family. It's always fun to come back. Except for the laundry and the dishes and all the normal adulting that are just, you know, part of the deal. Okay, so my review for this week is actually the very first review I got on Apple. And it's from General Lee 2187 on August 16th, 2018. And it's entitled Awesome and Real. I can't help myself. I have to be honest. This is a review from my husband, Rob. <laughs> he was the first one to write a review for me. Isn't that cute? That's not really him either. So it's pretty sweet. Anyways, he said, Julie is amazing and does a great job explaining some of the basic needs in life of connecting with others. I'm ready to increase my real relationships. Aw, thanks, Rob. If you don't know about Rob and you want to be entertained and maybe hear us sing and be a little gangsta, you should probably listen to storybook episode bonus too. I'm just saying. All right. I am so excited for you guys to hear my interview with Callie. When Callie's son was two years old, he fell from their two-story window onto the concrete below. That event kind of sent Callie to some hard places that she's had to dig her way out of. You're going to love her as much as I do. You may want some tissues close by. I don't know. I don't know how easily you cry, but I needed tissues. So that's your fair warning. Here we go. All right. We are super excited to have Callie here with us. I know Callie because she is really good friends with my older sister, Christy. Shout out to Christy. I'm trying to steal your friend. She's going to be my best friend now. (laughs) (laughs) Callie, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
I have four kids. I've been married for 14 years. I graduated from Utah State University. Oh, oh they just killed BYU. Yes. That was really sad for us, but probably amazing for you. It was glorious. <laughs> that first touchdown with the oh, interception. Yeah. I was texting everyone. How do you like them apples? Yeah. <laughs> we No, my husband the other night was like, Utah State is the best, is the best football team in Utah right now. That's cool. You're an Aggie. They have really good ice cream. They do. I love anything outdoors. I was a parks and recreation major. It's not just a park ranger. There's a lot of things you can do. Yeah. Is it like the show Parks and Rec? Yes, actually. It is. It can be. City recreation very much has issues just like parks and recreation. That's awesome. And so I find it to be quite comical. Yeah, that's hilarious. (laughs) Um, I thrive on humor. I think laughter is important and people take life way too seriously, Mm -hmm. including my own children. Mm Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time trying to convince my kids that I am funny. They need yeah. to know that their mom is funny. Yeah, you are. they're convinced that I'm not. Right. So it's fine. Totally. <laughs> I love it. Callie, you rewrite song lyrics for people's birthday and you make a video of you singing them, a song dedicated to them, right? Yes, I have done that quite a few times. Like how many have you probably done? Uh, I think the last I counted was 52. Oh my gosh. It's kind of fun. That's really awesome. I've heard stories. The legend, Callie. (laughs) Anyways, it's awesome. So happy to have you here. So Callie, you experienced something really, really traumatic very recently. And I know you've grown a lot from it and have had a lot of experiences with compassion and connection, which is why I really wanted you to be on the podcast. So can you tell us about the experience you had with your son? Yes, I can. Last year in March... My son fell from a two-story window, 14 feet, onto his head and crushed his skull. And and he fell onto grass? The pavers or- below. His eight-year-old sister was out there and she tried to catch him, but he was heavy. He's 40 pounds and he's slipped right through her fingers. She thinks her of herself as a failure, but I think she's a hero. She's a hero. She broke his fall that day, mm-hmm. for sure. There's no doubt about it. I know she hadn't have been there. He wouldn't be alive because he was near death as it was. I was inside cooking dinner and my girls came running in to tell me that he had fallen out the window and I couldn't wrap my brain around it because I'd just seen him outside playing on his water table. I ran outside and I saw the screen on the ground and I saw the blinds hanging out the window and I, I was in shock and I saw him pushing, trying to push himself up off of the ground. And I was not thinking in my head, you know, spinal injuries or don't move him. None of that came to my mind. As a mom, you instantly want to scoop your child up when they're hurt. Oh, for sure. So I ran to him and it was when I turned him over and I saw that his left eye was completely smashed in. His eye wasn't, he wasn't able to look at me at all. And I knew it was bad. So I frantically dialed 911. And they kept telling me to calm down because I was so hysterical. And I even said to my kids, I told you to shut the window. I faced a lot of guilt because of that one comment that I said to my kids, trying to find, I guess, blame on someone else. This isn't my fault. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Right. You know, immediately as a mom, anytime something bad happens to your kids, you you don't want to take responsibility for that because that means that you failed. I called 911 and they told me that I needed to keep him awake, keep talking to him. And 
by the time the paramedics arrived, he was completely unresponsive to me. He wouldn't open his eyes. I knew that he was near death. And the paramedic came and took him from me. They strapped him to the board and did a quick assessment and then put him in the ambulance. And as I drove in the ambulance, I began to pray harder than I have ever prayed in my life. Please don't take my son. Please don't let him die. And by the time we arrived to the ambulance, they had him somewhat stable. So they ran him into the trauma center and I didn't get to go in right away. But I was introduced to several people, the hospital chaplain and a social worker and all these very kind people who were just there to help me. And it wasn't long before they called me back. And I saw, you know, 20 or so doctors and nurses because it was a, uh, it's the Banner University in Arizona and it's for students, but it's the only trauma center. They specialize in trauma. So that's where they took him. So how far was it from where you were, that trauma center? If you're not speeding, it takes close to 40 minutes to get there. But we got there a lot faster yeah. with the lights and the sirens. I, bet. I don't even know. I didn't even time it, but I know it was fast. They took him in for a CAT scan. I remember the room being completely full of people, the glass that they were looking in. And I remember them telling me that I could touch him. But then once they started scanning, I was not allowed to. After that scan, it wasn't long before they came and told me all of his injuries. So he crushed the front part of his skull and he had an orbital fracture on his left eye, which is why it looked smashed into me. He also received two fractures near his spinal cord. Wow. And they told me that he'd be in a neck brace for two to four months. But even though he had all those severe injuries, the worst was the bleeding on the brain. They intubated him and admitted us into the PICU, Pediatric Intensive Care Unit. Sorry, what does incubated mean? Intubated. Or intubated? Uh-huh. It's where they put a tube down your throat and it just, they put you on a machine basically to breathe, help you breathe. Breathe for you. Yeah. Okay. And usually they do that for patients who could go into surgery at any time, which is one reason why they intubated him is because with the bleeding on the brain, it can go out of control at any moment and you just don't know. So two members from our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they came to the hospital and stood in the trauma center with us and they cried with us. And one of them wiped blood off of my elbow and we asked them to give Rad a priesthood blessing. In our church where we believe that we have the authority to act as an instrument for God to speak the words that he wants us to hear. And you have to have faith in Jesus Christ to be able to do, to give that blessing and to receive the blessing. Mm-hmm. And you have to live worthy. Yes, a worthy priesthood holder. And it was just a short blessing, but our good friend and neighbor gave the blessing, which I can't even imagine what that would have felt like, especially since both of those men had medical backgrounds and knew how serious mm-hmm. his situation was. But he was blessed that he would heal quickly. Oh, I have like the shivers everywhere. They waited six hours before they did the next CAT scan. And that showed that his bleeding had not gotten worse. So that was encouraging. But that was 
the most encouragement that we felt is that, you know, it's not getting worse, but we don't know. You're not out of the woods. They just kept saying these first 24 hours will be critical. We didn't get a lot of answers through the night, but I did go on to Facebook and I posted a picture of his hand and his teddy bear. And I just asked for people to please pray for my son. I made it public. I told them what happened and I knew that that was going to put me in a place of judgment, but I was willing to do it because I've seen how powerful prayers can be. And my post was shared 62 times and there were 458 comments. I don't know how many likes and loves, 600 around, but people from all over the world said, I'm praying for you from Russia, you know, praying for your family, praying to Allah, praying to Buddha. I thought it was amazing how so many different faiths and beliefs could come together for one purpose, for my son, <laughs> people who didn't even know me. And I just know like faith is an incredible thing. No matter where it is, you put that faith, faith is powerful and faith leads to hope. And hearing all of those people who were praying for me filled me with hope that mm -hmm. maybe things were going to be okay. No matter what the outcome, maybe I was going to be okay. In the middle of the night, that first night, he started to vomit. There was a nurse in there and I was afraid to touch him. I just sat and watched him. And I, because he was so breakable to me, his head had started swelling and I just knew with the bleeding on the brain, I just didn't have a lot of medical background to know if it was even okay for me to touch him. I just remember pressing the nurse's button and no one came and no one came. So finally I just grabbed him and turned him to the side because he was choking. Even though he had that tube in him, he still had stuff coming up and that was traumatic for me. <laughs> But there were a lot of little moments like that that just made things even harder. But around 24 hours after, maybe even less than that, we finally heard from the brain specialist. And that's the doctor that everybody had told us. You know, we're waiting for the brain specialist. We're waiting to see what he says before we can take any steps forward and remove the tube, the intubation tube, see if he wants to breathe on his own. And... He came in and said, did anybody show you the scans of your son's head? No, nobody's talked to you. Nobody told you his diagnosis. No. <laughs> and he proceeded to tell us basically that he was going to be okay, which was the first time that anybody had said oh my goodness. anything to us that he was going to live. So I was relieved, but then it was followed by, but he can't be a little boy for the next six to 12 months, no running, no jumping, no climbing, anything that he could risk hitting his head, you can't do. And he is high energy. <laughs> right, he jumped out of a window. Yeah. He, well, he didn't jump, but he, he was looking to his sisters below and oh, they were okay. talking out the window. I'm sorry, that's probably really insensitive for me to say <laughs> no, too. No, it's not. It's okay. <laughs> I didn't tell you how it happened. I, I just stopped. assumed he's like a four-year-old crazy boy that jumps out of windows like it could happen to any little boy. They do these things. <laughs> yeah. They're crazy. He would. He would do it? <laughs> not offended. Okay, good. No, but he, so he was pushing on the screen to say hi to his sisters below. And then he fell. And the screen popped. And he fell through. And he fell through. So he wasn't trying to, but it was an accident. And, mm -hmm. you know, shortly after that, we put locks on our windows. Like yeah, I bet. 
anyone with a two-story house should have locks on their windows with little kids. It's just, you never know. You never know what could happen. And you don't think that that would happen either. That's why we didn't have locks on our windows before. Right. right. <laughs> I just didn't even think Yeah, if you knew was... that was going to happen, obviously right. <laughs> you'd have locks on your windows, right? Yeah. Anyway, after that, we started to really see the miracles come rolling in. The first thing that happened was they removed his neck brace. That was a big one because they had told us that it was going to be on there for several months. He couldn't open his eyes. They were swollen shut, but that was what my kids were praying for. And I didn't let them come up to the hospital because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I didn't want their last memory of their brother to be him hooked up to all sorts of machines and not looking like himself. And so they didn't actually come until they moved us down out of the PICU. After two days, they moved us down to a floor that didn't need constant watch. On day four, my kids came and they had been praying so hard that he would open his eyes so that he could see the presents that they were going to bring him. <laughs> and he did. He opened his eyes and that was a really special moment. And I remember when they removed the tube, his hearing him speak, he said, mommy. <laughs> and I was so relieved he knew who I was because with brain damage, you don't know what they're going to remember. Right. You don't know if they're going to recognize you as their mom or I don't know. We just didn't know what his memory would be like, but he remembered all of us. That's amazing. It was amazing. What he didn't remember was some of his shapes and letters. His frontal lobe was affected, which is the decision-making choices. So we were in there five days and then they came in and said, okay, you're ready to go home. And I was like, whoa, no, 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 no. I can't take this kid home. Right. My house is breakable. He's breakable. My kids are going to break him. And right. I just felt so overwhelmed. I can't imagine. It was awful. But that six weeks following coming home from the hospital were probably the darkest days of my life because I felt like a prisoner to my own home. And I watched him as he slept because I was afraid that he'd hit his head on the wall. I remember the first time that he hit his head, I was putting him in his high chair and he just swung forward right into the tray oh and gosh. it just smacked his head and he started crying. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like immediate tears Yeah. thinking, oh, I can't, I can't keep him safe. Right. You know, fearing another concussion is going to happen because they said that's what exactly what you don't want to happen because then permanent damage happens. Mm -hmm. And the great thing uh, with younger kids is that their brains are still growing. So they said over time he would make a full recovery, but I didn't know what that road would look like or be like. And it's been a long one. Yeah. It's been 18 months now and he still is dealing with some things, but has made great strides. He just entered into a mainstream preschool. He's doing good things, but it's the behavior that's hard. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was very similar to the Hulk. If you know who the Hulk is. I know who the Hulk is. <laughs> Smash him. You know, destroy. Yeah. I learned to recognize when it was his TBI, his traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. versus when he was just being a three-year-old. Right. And so this happened when he was three? He was two. He was two, two when it and happened. And, and he's four now? He's four now. Okay. You know, it was the look in his eyes. 
oftentimes after he would whack me on the head with a water bottle or whatever it was, he would look as startled. What did I just do? And I could tell then, okay, I can't get too mad. This is beyond his control. I've had to learn a lot of patience and I'm still learning to be patient, (laughs) but he's a little miracle and we're so grateful. Did you feel seen after the tragedy? Did you feel seen? Were there people who connected with you and had compassion on you? Yeah, a lot of people. And I was astounded at the amount of people that I didn't know that wanted to reach out. You know, at the time, I didn't think to ask what their stories were, but I bet you anything that they have a story, that there was a reason they wanted to reach out to me because they had experienced similar feelings as mine. And I remember I wrote, I sat down and wrote the acts of service that people did for my family. And I got past a hundred meals, watching kids. It was around Easter time. And one lady made Easter baskets for all of my kids. Another put Easter eggs out in the front of my yard for my kids to find with gift cards and money. And oh my goodness. I know. It makes me cry. What an angel. (laughs) What an angel. So many angels. And the list goes on and on. Just, I was in awe by the kindness of people and essentially wrap all those acts of service up in what I felt was the pure love of Christ. That's what I felt. And when you experience something like that, it makes you want to return the favor, you know, return the kindness and reach out to other people who are hurting. You see what it can, what it can do for someone. Yeah. Well, you kind of touched on this, but how have your experiences given you empathy for others who struggle? Oh, so after his accident, I had a lot of people share their own stories with me. And I was amazed at how different people's stories were, you know, whether they had experienced not being able to have children or whether they'd experienced cancer, an illness or something like that. I realized that they had experienced a lot of the same feelings as I have because of loss, because we're all experiencing loss and we're grieving over that, what we thought our lives would look like, what we had dreamed for us. And I had several people say, well, you know, at least he lived. And I am so glad (laughs) that he did. (laughs) But at the same time, I lost my life as I knew it then being able to just pick up with my friends and go to Chick-fil-A. You know, he can't go into a play place. He'll collide with someone. That's like my worst fear is that he will collide with another person's skull because that is the worst of all is hitting another person's head. I had to give up a lot of things that I was used to having. I guess luxuries, whatever you want to call them. It was really hard for me to watch him all the time. As a parent, that's hard to do, especially when you have multiple children to keep a constant watch, which just put me at risk of guilting myself to death. I remember having what I would call an out-of-body experience about six weeks after, where I was just screaming at my kids, and I thought, Callie, get yourself under control. What is wrong with you? And I could tell that I needed to rein it in, but I couldn't. Mm. And that is when I called and got help. Good. I found a therapist and she was my saving grace. She was amazing at dealing with PTSD and anxiety and depression and all of those things. And 
I don't know where I'd be without her. She's amazing. That's awesome. We're very pro therapy on this podcast. <laughs> I'm kind of, I think I bug like even my family because they have a problem and I'm like, therapy, therapy, therapy. I just like sit there with, but it's no, it's, it's been incredibly beneficial for me as well. And I, I've seen what it can do for other people. So this is one of my favorite questions I want to ask you. How did you feel seen by God? I felt seen by him. I think mostly through other people because God uses people as his instruments. When you are looking, seeking to do his will, you are going to find ways to help other people because we are his children and we matter to him. With my faith, I was given hope with Jesus Christ is what I'm trying to say. Jesus Christ went through everything that I will ever go through. Knowing that, knowing that there was someone who had experienced exactly what I had experienced was comforting to me. I actually remember people telling me, just use the atonement. Use the atonement. It's all-encompassing. Yeah, what does that even mean? Right? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I don't know what I'm supposed like, to okay, do with that. I used it. <laughs> Why am I not better? <laughs> and you know what I realized? It was in therapy, actually. And my therapist is not a member of my faith, but we both have faith. And so yeah. she was, she was good to go with wherever I needed to go, which Great. I really appreciated. I realized in talking to her, what the atonement meant to me. Oftentimes I would just picture the savior with me. I would see his face. And I think just being aware of him, just being aware that he's there is what helped me pull through and helped me to see God's hand. And that was, to me, utilizing the atonement was just remembering him, remembering what he went through for me. That's so beautiful. I've never had someone break that down in that way for me. The idea of just visualizing him there and seeing his face. And so I know he sees me. Do I see him? Would I recognize him if he came? That's what I'm striving for. And I know that that's one reason why I went through such a hard time is because it opened up my eyes to compassion, to empathy for the struggles that people go through and wanting to reach out as he would. And see them. Mm -hmm. There's someone that's listening and that is struggling with anything. As you and I have talked about, suffering is suffering. And you don't have to go through the exact same experience to know what it feels like to need God and to need Christ. What advice would you give to someone that's struggling? I think there's nothing wrong with taking things one day at a time. It's a cliche thing to say. But it's Just take it one the day best at a time, advice. But it's a real thing. One second at a time, one hour at a time. Yeah, because honestly, if I looked into the future, it hurt. Like it literally hurt my heart. I can't even call the doctor. I can't make an appointment because I was that overwhelmed with life. Kind of how you were talking about, we don't have to get in the hole with people. We can maybe be the one to put the ladder down. I feel like a lot of people did that for me when I was trying to take it one day at a time, that during that one day, someone threw me a ladder, you know, and I took it up one rung, one rung at a time. That's all you can do. You can't focus on what's beyond your control. I feel like I've just been like choked up half the time, just like staring at you in shock with this story, but I can feel the energy from you that you have such compassion for other people. And then you see other people. I feel like you've seen me. I know you've listened to the podcast a little bit and know some of the struggles I've been through. And there's just an instant bond and connection with people when they share and 
they know about pain and they know about needing the Savior. And maybe they don't even have all the faith in the world, but they're trying really hard to see him and to see other people. I think there's great power with that and I can feel that power. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. I appreciate it. And your little boy, how is he doing now? He's good. I get asked often about him. Yeah. I, I usually just say, he's getting there. Yeah. He's getting there. He's finding his way. And you know what? So am I. I'm getting there. It's going to be a lifelong process for me to get to where I need to be. And I'm okay with that. What a girl, huh? You know when you talk to people and you're like, they just get it. I could talk to her all day because she just gets it. And she's so interesting to talk to. I don't have to explain anything. She just gets me. I love it. Next time is a podcast with all of the women in my family. We recorded it together in California. To be honest, my family, we've had some pretty crazy years. And at times, I think we've all wondered if the rain would ever stop on our family. But what's come from these rainstorms are incredibly passionate women who feel for other people and know how important it is to have compassion on others, to connect others and show up in their lives because they've seen it save them over and over again. So I am so excited to be able to share some of these beautiful women that are so close to my heart with you for our special Thanksgiving episode next week entitled, Thank You for Showing Up. Thank you for listening and I love you. As always, my name is Julie Lee and I see you 